0: No obligation to do this, but it would serve probably the momentum of the meeting if everybody moved up just a bit and we lived a little bit more like family today. Um, Like I said, you do not have to do that, but uh, I think it would be advantageous for me definitely uh, as the speaker. So um, as you're finding your seats, you can open up your Bibles to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there should be a black hardbound one somewhere near you. And this morning's passage can be found on page 980 and 981. Also, it will be on the screen for you. So as we start out this morning, I want to just ask you a question. If I said, for you, what does it mean to be great? What would it be like for you to achieve greatness in your life? I want to read this quote from John Mark Comer in his book, Garden City. He says, Nobody just wants to be a carbon footprint and to take up space. Nobody wants to just go through life, work a job, buy a house, pay taxes, amass stuff, and retire with a condo in Florida and a Comcast subscription. Most of us want more out of the short breath that is our existence. Now over the years we might ignore this desire or suppress it or deny it or lock it in the basement and starve it to death, but it's unshakable. It won't go away no matter how hard we try to stomp it out. It's there from our first breath. So he goes on to say that we are hardwired and we are designed for greatness. That The imprint on our souls, because we're made in the image of God, is to connect our lives with what's truly great. Now, if we take the culture's definition of greatness, that's going to be something that we try to achieve. It's going to be something, a status that someone can display and speak over us. It may be an advancement that you have in your career or reaching a certain amount of money that you might have. But as we look at the scriptures, what you're going to find out is that greatness is not what you do, but it's who you are becoming, and it's who God has called you to be because he laid down his life for you. Greatness, defined by Jesus, is intentionally placing the needs of other people in front of your own. Greatness is pursuing servanthood in the power of the Holy Spirit so that we can display the worth and the beauty of Jesus We want our lives to count. We want the words that we say. We want the actions that we live out. We want them to display something. And if there's, I mean, if you are here and you've placed your faith in Jesus, there's this real desire to live a better story than just getting caught up in the culture and how they define greatness. And for us to be able to receive Jesus' teaching on servanthood, we have to first realize all that he has done for us. I mean, all throughout the scriptures, Jesus defines greatness um, in some pretty astounding ways. I mean, there's a widow that's putting in her offering. It's her last two coins. He pulls his disciples close, and he says, I want you to see that this is the most beautiful thing in the world. We have a Savior that took off his garments, and on the night that he was betrayed, he washed the feet of his followers, even his betrayer. And for us as a church to be able to live a different story and tell the story of Jesus, it's going to mean coming out of living for the things that the culture defines as greatness and finding the greatness in how Jesus has defined it. It means for us as a church that we're going to embrace the way of Jesus above our own needs, and we're going to embrace the kingdom of God um, in a way that displays His greatness through servanthood. And so we're going to see that in Philippians chapter 2. So if you have your Bibles open, would you stand with me if you're able? We'll read verses 1 through 11. So if there's any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, Father, this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Would you pray with me? Father, we are humbled just by reading the description of the humility of Jesus and the sacrifice of Jesus. We're also daunted, quite honestly, to see that that's supposed to do something um, in the way that we relate to one another and the way that we relate to the world And we know for this to take place, it's not going to take place because we somehow um, just get up enough willpower that we begin to serve. It's going to happen because you allow us to experience the beauty and the magnificence of Jesus in all that we do. I pray that you would open our eyes to see him, that every heart here would be served and touched by the reality of his death pray that no one would leave here apart from seeing something of his greatness. And then because of that, that you would really employ us as your servants to be able to display this to the world. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. So I love the book of Philippians for a lot of reasons. Um, The main reason is because it's really realistic. Like on one hand, you have Paul commending this church and always thanking God for them. Looked at that a little bit last week. But also, um, it's a church that's just like every church that you've ever been a part of. It has relational dysfunction kind of going around um, a little bit under the surface. So if you read at the end of the book of Philippians, um, there's two ladies, two ladies, Yodia and Syntyche. I mean, they're fighting together. And, and because, I mean, and this isn't just like an, a normal church disagreement. I mean, this has risen to the point where, like, they're fighting with one another is the reason that Paul is writing this letter. (laughs) I mean, I, I don't know if you've ever had a conflict with anybody, but I don't think I would want it displayed on the pages of Scripture. But this conflict was so big that it began to engulf the whole church. And so there was just this relational dysfunction that was going on inside of the Philippian church. Um, This was a church, um, I don't know, the the city of Philippi itself. It was known as Little Rome. And so they found their identity in the way that they looked like Rome. So this was a real power center of the day. This was the greatest kingdom in the world. And the lowest place that you could take in this kingdom was the form of a servant. So this idea in Philippians 2 that that Jesus was a servant and then that his followers are to be a servant were absolutely countercultural. There could not have been anything that was more radical that Paul could have said to them, and this was to disarm the hostility that existed in their hearts. Chapter 2, in particular, is a picture that's meant to soften our hearts towards one another. That there is this idea in Philippians 2 that there is a deep love and a deep unity that is meant to characterize the people of God that there is an aroma and a flavor that takes place inside the church that's meant to display the beauty and the value of Jesus. So this idea of doing nothing from rivalry or selfish ambition This is the foundation for a church that can reach the world. Servanthood actually grows in this kind of culture where the church is unified in their mind, where they are in one accord, where they are not doing anything for their own agenda, but they're doing everything for the sake of Jesus who laid down his life for them. Servanthood absolutely does not come to anyone naturally. It is not natural to say your agenda is more important than me. I place more value on you than I do my own comforts. I place more value on you than I do my own resources, right? And this is the countercultural way of Jesus. Humble service is the underpinning of the kingdom of God. Apart from servanthood, right? We just become like puppets that are making a lot of noise. But when we, are love, when we are united in love and we are united in spirit and we are united in service with one another, it displays to the world something that is absolutely undeniable. Brings me to my first point. Servanthood makes God's kingdom tangible and accessible to people. Servanthood will take us places that we could never go on our own. Servanthood will take us into the lives of people and it will touch their hearts um, in a way, quite honestly, that a Sunday service cannot do. Servanthood is meant to make our message credible. It's supposed to be a living illustration of what we believe. Um, I'm going to paraphrase this, but Dallas Willard famously said that we always live out what we believe, but not just what we say that we believe, right? Right? So this value of servanthood, it it happens first by this deep work of the Spirit happening inside of us where we have been served by Jesus himself and then we have the opportunity to serve the world. Look at verses 1 through 4. So if there is, I I want you to notice this, this is the function of being with Jesus, right? This isn't just a, a blind call, to go out and serve people in your own strength. It's the fruit of being with Jesus. Verses 1 through 4. So if there is any encouragement in Christ... Any comfort from love, and that's his love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full of cord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also the interests of others." So what Paul is saying here is if you have in any way been touched by the love and the mercy and the comfort of Jesus himself, begin to live and to walk just like he walked. If you have had any participation in the life of the Spirit, do this by begin to living life the same way that he did. Taking on the form of a servant, beginning to lay down your life for other people. Servanthood is rooted in being with Jesus, and and, and we have to get this, especially in the religious South. It's about receiving before it's about giving anything away. To actually serve people, we have to allow Jesus to serve us. We have to allow his love to shape the way that we actually live out life together. Because there's a way that you can live out life in your own strength, right? I mean, you can just throw out a bunch of tracks at people and you can kind of hold up picket signs and all of those things. Even if they contain true things, they have nothing to do with the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is one that that draws near to people in service and in love because they have been so richly loved by Jesus himself. So Jesus serves us with his love, with his encouragement, and his spirit so that we can model and demonstrate this kingdom to the world. We get to tell Jesus' story with our lives. And that's a grand privilege for us. I think it's something that we take for granted. But the idea that when I function in the power of the Holy Spirit, listening to him... Considering other people more important than myself, it tells the world that Jesus is alive. So now, not just I do that, but we do that collectively. Think of the effect. It is so countercultural, even inside the church it's not about numbers. It's not about budgets. It's about the posture of our heart. Servanthood is a posture of the heart, and then it's a practice that we live out, and we can't get those things confused. It's about us receiving from him. Um, The reality is that relational dynamics will always trump any doctrinal statement that you have, right? You can have the most perfect theology in the world and you can undo that with the way that we live life with one another or we don't live life with one another this comes from the business world but Peter Drucker says that culture eats strategy for breakfast right you instantly know the culture of a place the moment you walk in you begin to make assessments about what's going on For followers of Jesus, when people look at a culture, what they're supposed to come in contact first and foremost with is the humility of people that have been loved and served by Jesus himself. And so for us as the people of God, we must humbly cry out to him that he would pour out his love in our lives in such a way that we would begin to serve one another and the world. People can ignore doctrinal statements. Um, They can... Argue <laughs> with your bumper stickers. They can um, ignore your slogans. But the reality is that we're called to live by a different value system. We want to live life so people ask, why in the world do you live the way that you live? That's what First Peter says, that we have an explanation for the way that we live life. It's a practice that we pursue, but it's first a posture of our heart. So the danger is that we can become so familiar and, I would say, inoculated to the message of Jesus that we actually keep doing some of the things of the kingdom, but we do them in our own strength. And what that does is lead to burnout, and it leads to people uh, wanting to quit, and it leads people to wanting to go through the motions. So this brings me to my next point. It's, a, it's an important distinction that we have to make. Religion cultivates duty-driven tasks but the gospel makes a way for astonishing service. So I'll say that one more time. Religion cultivates duty-driven tasks, but the gospel makes a way for astonishing service. Right? Most of us are probably very comfortable in the idea of serving one another, but how many of us are really asking God, would you help me? So, display the love and the beauty of Jesus that people are absolutely blown away. That is the heartbeat of Christianity that we would display his love. Mark Skanderett, in his book, Practicing the Way of Jesus, says If the invitation from Jesus to practice the way sounds like a burden or an obligation, then we are not hearing him correctly. This is the way of life. And the challenge for us as the people of God is to say, Even though this does not sound like life, that Jesus not only knows how to demonstrate and lead us into that place where we're able to experience his life together um, as a community. So all throughout the pages of the New Testament, you find this idea of astonishing service. I'm going to read a portion of Mark chapter 14. You can see this story in Mark 14, also in John chapter 12. Mary, whose sister was Martha, whose brother was Lazarus, a couple of days before Jesus was to go to the cross, she took a pound of really expensive perfume, and she anointed the head of the Savior. So I'm going to read this to us, but I want you to do this. I want you to imagine that you're in this room. I want you to imagine that you're listening to Jesus kind of explain to his disciples, hey, this is what's about to happen to me. I'm about to go to the cross. And then Mary breaks into this room with an awkward interruption and begins to display something that makes everyone in the room uncomfortable. This is an illustration of what it means to have astonishing service and devotion to Jesus. Mark chapter 14, verse 3. You can close your eyes. You can read it on the screen. And while he was at Bethany, in the house of Simon the leper, as he was reclining at table, a woman came with an alabaster flask of ointment of pure nard, very costly. And she broke the flask, and she poured it over his head. And this is the effect of religion. There were some that said to themselves, Why was this anointment wasted like that? This anointment could have been sold for more than 300 denarii and given to the poor, and they scolded her. But Jesus said, leave her alone. Why do you trouble her? She has done a beautiful thing to me, for you will always have the poor with you. And whenever you want, you can do good for them, but you will not always have me. She has done what she could. That's that's what God is asking. She has anointed my body beforehand for burial. And truly, I say to you that wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. So there's people that are religiously indignant and it's not because they love people, it's because they love money and they don't like to see extravagant displays of devotion because it makes them uncomfortable. Right, they don't like to see people lay down their life for Jesus and expl- and express emotion because it it actually confronts people. When you see someone that's absolutely devoted to Jesus, it begins to push on something in your heart. You're asking, "Why does my heart not respond like that?" Mary is a picture in Scripture to show us what astonishing service is looked like, and that's supposed to be the norm for us as the people of God. Listen, no one ever gets com- no one ever gets converted inside of a church because of minimal effort right no one ever says hey I'm so I'm so blessed by the way that you barely showed up today no one ever says that but what they are compelled by what is unignorable to the world is when we as the people of God have been so loved by him that we love and welcome one another when we do what we can in the power of the spirit to display the beauty and the worth of Jesus Astonishing service displays the beauty and the worth of Jesus. And this is a word that we have to recover. It's the word devotion. We cannot so react to legalism and religion that we take away from this idea of being devoted to Jesus. That our love for him is pronounced and it is obvious and it is demonstrable to everyone that walks in the room. So for the people of God, we're supposed to look at Mary and we're supposed to look at her example and say, I want to be like her. Like I, I want somehow for God to use me to show his beauty and his worth. So what does astonishing service look like for you? Where has God so placed you in his service that you can display the beauty of his worth? For some of you, it might mean you have a degree in one area and you're really successful in one area of business, but the kingdom needs you over here, so you lay it down and you pour it out as expensive and extravagant worship to the Savior. For some of us, right, it means dying to our own kingdom and our own agenda. We may have planned out our lives since we were 20 years old, and we may have X number of dollars in the bank, but we say, we too lay this at your feet. Use it as you will. It is this idea that we want to use everything that God has given us to display his beauty and his worth. I want to tell you this story. Uh, this is uh, my son Landon, who is in the back. So, where he got his name, his name is Landon Elliott Rogers, and he's named after Jim Elliott. Jim Elliott, along with uh, four other American missionaries, were killed in Ecuador in 1956. I love that story of devotion where they went to a group of people that had never heard the name of Jesus. These were all this story rocked America. Why would five young men with beautiful wives and children go to a place where they knew it was absolutely dangerous and it could cost them their lives? So there was a time or a Newsweek story, I think, that, that circled the world and it displayed just the beauty and the worth of Jesus. But part two of that story is Elizabeth Elliot, who was Jim Elliot's wife, and recent widow, along with her two-year-old daughter, Valerie, uh, also with uh, another lady that was named Rachel Saint, who was the sister of a man named Nate Saint, who also was killed by these, uh, they were called the Alca Indians in Ecuador. They both were so compelled by the worth and the beauty of Jesus. No one would have blamed them if they gave up on this mission, right? I mean, Really, we give up on the mission when we sense any kind of resistance or hostility. But they sensed that God was in this and they met a lady named Dayuma who was also uh, ran away from this tribe because it was so dangerous. And she began to teach them the language. And she began to, they began to love and to serve this woman in such a way that, that over the next couple of years, in 1958, they were invited to live with this tribe called the Alka Indians. And eventually... They translated the scriptures into their language and every person in that tribe came to know the beauty and the value of Jesus. They were moved from death to life. That that kind of story um, compels us because it's, you may never leave this zip code, but we are all made to display this kind of astonishing service, right? And it's going to be with your personality and with your gifts, but it is meant to say something to the world. Now let's look at verses 5 through 8. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God as a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death. Even death on a cross. At this point, especially if you've been in church world very long, there's going to be a pendulum swing that's going to happen in your soul. Like there's going to be this desire, like I I want to do this. I want to be able to live this out. But I want you to know something, Pastor. I've tried, right? I've tried radical acts of service before. And you know what happened? I got really tired, right? And I, I felt alone, And I think normally the reason that happens is because if this is born of the Spirit and as a relationship with the Spirit, and we are empowered by Him, um, you're going to be tired no matter what you do. I'm just going to let you in on that little secret in life, right? I mean, I don't know what we're saving energy for, but you're going to be tired. It's just, are you going to be tired doing the right things, right, in the power of the Spirit, or are you going to be tired and worn out because you're running after things that are empty? Like, those are our two options as the people of God. So for us, we need to be a group of people that say, would, are we going to be led by the Spirit? Are we going to be empowered by the Spirit as we try to live out this idea of servanthood? If we do it in our own strength, it'll last about five minutes. And, and quite honestly, that's why we are passionate about prayer, Like, we know that we actually need God. That's why people gather here every week at 9.30 to say, we need Jesus to show up. Like, we can't do this in our own strength. And you know what? Most of the time, he blesses us with his kindness and his presence. So how do we consistently live like Jesus? It's my next point. We can empty ourselves because we have already received everything in Jesus. Right? This is not about (laughs) us trying to earn anything. This is not about us trying to prove anything. We follow a Savior who did not think that his, his being in the very nature of God was something to be grasped or something to be leveraged for His own advantage. But He used His position, He used His influence to see other people flourish. Right? And that's the true measure of what it means to be a success in this life. Well, I use the resources that God has given me to see other people flourish, because God made mankind to flourish. Jesus died and was raised again so that mankind could flourish. Oftentimes, though, right? Right? I mean, I mean, I I had people like this in my life growing up, like as a kid, and um, it was almost like this one-upsmanship that kind of can happen even in Christian community. So, like, someone would invite my family over for, like, a lunch or a dinner, and then as soon as I would get in the car, my mom's like, hey, I, I got to make sure that we're going to go back, and we're going to invite them over, you know? I mean, have you ever been around that? Like, we're going to pay each other back, and it's just we're going to try to outdo one another like that. That really doesn't have anything to do with the kingdom of God. This is us because we have already received righteousness and peace and eternal life that comes from God that we can actually trust him to begin to give those kinds of things away he used his his resources to influence other people John Tyson in his book the burden is light says this he says Jesus's compassion flowed from his connection to the father understanding that all things were under his power enabled him to serve without reservation the same is true for us our names are written in the book of life. We are co-heirs with Jesus. We have eternal life. And Christ has given us his righteousness. And because we have that security, we are free to pour ourselves out. Or as Jesus says in another place, we can, <laughs> we can pour out our lives because he has been so richly kind to us. We don't have to save our life. We can give it away because he has given away his life for us. So everything that we have, we have received. All of our gifts, all of our resources, where you were born, who your family was, what you have in the bank account, all is a gift from him. So let's talk about a few ways to apply this together. Servanthood applied begins with knowing yourself. Everyone in this room, God has prepared for good works, Because we are part of his masterpiece. But we also have to know that he is there's one spirit that lives inside the church, but there are a variety of gifts. I'm gonna let in on a secret. I'm not against spiritual gift tests, but you do not learn your spiritual gifts by taking a test. (laughs) You learn your spiritual gifts by being in community with other people, and then to begin to know and to see and to serve one another. You will never fulfill your kingdom potential on this earth by yourself. You are not meant to live in isolation. You are meant to be joined to a family and that is the family of God. So we have to know ourselves. This may take some time and some prayer and asking the Spirit, how have you gifted me? But the main way to learn your gifts is to actually get in the game, and when there is a need in front of you, to begin to walk that out and to see. And, and you know what? Other people are going to affirm where they see you gifted. They're going to say, I, I met Jesus through the way that you served here. Like, there was life imparted to me when you did this um, the way that you did it, so uh, just pay attention to those kinds of things. You have to know yourself, uh, and I would say this, this is particularly how to know where your gifted, or at least how God wants to use you. Pay attention to your tears. What makes you cry? What breaks your heart open for people? Like that is an indication that the Spirit has gifted you in a particular area. Because there's things in here that make some people deeply affected and make them want to move them towards action that don't affect me at all. And then there's things that I deeply care about that other people don't care about. So pay attention to what brings you tears, but also pay attention to what makes you angry, right? There is a such thing as righteous indignation that happens as we witness injustice in the world. Pay attention to those things. Those are signposts from heaven about the ways that God has actually wired you. So we begin by knowing ourselves. Um, As a leadership team, We have begun to just study the Enneagram, and that has been a wonderful gift to us. There's a book called The Road Back to You that has served us a lot. Uh, We are just in process of doing that. We're going to have a class probably in the fall. But we want people to know how God has uniquely wired them so that they can begin to serve um, in the strength that he supplies so that he gets the glory. Next application, servanthood, getting to know others the greatest servants that you know are probably the greatest listeners you know. Servanthood begins by listening. Servanthood begins by asking questions and paying attention. The people that meet and anticipate the needs of other people, um, honestly, and this is what humility is, it's they're just not preoccupied with themselves. They're preoccupied with other people. Humility is not thinking that you're like some low-down, dirty sinner. Humility is like just thinking about other people more actively than you think about yourself. So I would say this when when you're getting to know the needs of other people. Now, you may not be called to meet every need, But I promise you, if you see the need, it is an invitation from God to begin to meet that need in some way. So this is where I think, honestly, we could grow as a church, right? Because this isn't just about a few people doing all the work. This is about, if you see the need, this is about you taking initiative and seeing how maybe you could meet that need or maybe you could connect people to one another, right? So that they could help meet those needs together. Um, so we, I think we just want to grow in that as a church where we're able to say, hey, I don't know if you mind, but hey, we're a family here. This person is in need over here. Would you mind going and meeting with this person? Right? That should be the norm in the family of God. Not, some, not just a few people getting phone calls to say, hey, I want you to know that there's a need. It's actually a body that takes proactive uh, steps in caring for one another. So if we see a need, it's an invitation to get involved especially at the level of a gospel community where we're connected to one another, not just connected to the leaders of the group, right? Does that make sense, right? It's an unhealthy group if everyone wants to get with a leader all the time. A healthy group is where people live life with one another inside the group where they're meeting each other's needs. That doesn't mean that the leaders are not there to serve, but it also is dysfunctional if it's a very top-heavy place. So we want to grow in sharing the needs and the burdens of one another. Finally, we want to just take this out for a spin. Um, As gospel communities, we want to be spirit-led, service-oriented communities of faith. We're going to have opportunities, right? That's why we're doing this Pathway series. What we don't need to do as a church is have another discussion about who we could serve, right? Um, There is value in that, but it's very limited, What we actually need to do as a church is to say, hey, we're not gonna meet today because we're gonna go meet some needs, okay? So we're gonna make some pathways in the pathway series where we just try stuff, where we're able, not just as individuals, but as groups to begin to serve in the strength that Jesus has provided and to begin to look like a community of faith. Most of us have enough needs in our relational network that we will not have to look very far for where we would take servanthood out for a spin. Right? So we want to, as a group and as a community, ask the Spirit, where do you want us to do that this week? That should be the norm for us. And this, this is a question, if I could, if, if Jesus would answer one prayer for me this week, it would be this. How can we as gospel communities blow someone away with the love of Jesus? Right? Not how can we... You know, how can we check something off the box to say that we did the Pathway series? But how can we, because we have been so deeply loved, blow someone away with the love of Jesus? And, um, I mean, honestly, I've heard dozens of stories um, over the last couple of months that would fill a book of astonishing service. There is a a real spirit of that that exists here, and I want to commend us. But I think there's a coming together of that and a focusing of that, I think, that can be multiplied for the sake of the mission of the city, where there's not just isolated pockets of servanthood happening, but it's leveraged together for the kingdom because that's the way that God has designed it to be. And finally, I just want to close with this. Um, I know in this room there are people who have heard lots of good things about Jesus, but you may have not tasted and seen that He's good. You may not have actually been served by Him. So, this is an invitation for you to say that despite all of your sin and all of your neediness and all of your brokenness, to say, I, I actually need a Savior. And to realize that Jesus is that Savior because He came into the world and He emptied himself, and he was crucified on the cross so that you can have life, that you can respond by turning away from living for yourself and living for a different king, right? God is inviting you this morning to turn and to believe and to get caught up in the only story that will never fail. The story of our life will quickly fade, but the story of the kingdom of God will live forever. Like, if you want true greatness and you want a legacy, Let's get joined up to this and this kingdom because it will never fail. Let's pray. Jesus, thank you. Thank you for serving us. Thank you for washing us. Thank you for cleaning us from the inside out through your blood. Thank you for choosing us. Not because we were wise or noble, but because we were lowly. And you use lowly people to despise the wise and the strong. I pray that that would not only be the experience of individuals, but that would be our experience as a church. That you would use this collection of people to do something that tells your story whether it makes front page headlines here on earth or not, I pray that for eternity you would help us to do things that make a difference. I pray that you help us make choices this week and over the next month that will last into eternity. I do pray that astonishing service would become the norm for us. Please help us to not just check a box, go through the motions. Please capture us with fresh affection because you so loved us. celebrate you and all that you've done. In Jesus' name, amen.